If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. The Radio Memories Network is brought to you in part by Liberated Syndication, podcast publishing made easy, Libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. Welcome to the Old Time Radio Network Detective Stories, continuing America's love affair with private eyes. We now go back to the early days of radio and our imaginations with our feature presentation. Nightmare Town by Dashiell Hammett, read by Stuart Milligan. Episode 3 The McPhails were at home when Nova and Steve came through the flowered yard again, and they welcomed the girl with evident relief. The doctor was a short man with a round, jovial face. His wife was perhaps ten years younger than he, a slender blonde. The girl introduced Steve, and then told them about the burglar and of what they'd found in the blind man's cabin. Dr. McPhail shook his head. Seems to me Fernie doesn't do all that could be done to tone Izzard down. Then the girl remembered Steve's wounded arm, and the doctor examined, washed, and bandaged it. Get it from our burglar? No, got it out in the street. A man named Camp and I were walking toward the hotel tonight and were jumped. Camp was killed. I got this. An asthmatic clock somewhere up the street was striking three as Steve passed through the McPhail's front gate and set out for the hotel again. He felt sore in every muscle. If anything else happens tonight, he told himself, I'm going to run like hell. I've had enough for one evening. But as he turned into Main Street, he found the cream Vauxhall stood near the corner, its owner at the wheel. As Steve came abreast, Larry Ormsby let its near door swing open and held out an inviting hand. Steve stopped. Jump in. I'll give you a lift as far as the hotel. Steve looked quizzically from the man's handsome, reckless face to the hotel, less than two blocks away. Then he looked at the man again and got into the automobile. "'I hear you're a more or less permanent fixture,' said Ormsby, shutting off his engine. "'For a while. I also hear you had a little excitement tonight. If you keep up this pace, it won't take you long to nose me out of my position as Izzard's brightest light.' Steve grinned and waited. The only thing I ever got from the old man, besides money, is a deep-rooted love for my own property. I don't feel that I should give it up, or any other rights, without a struggle. There it was. Now Steve knew what the talk was about. He was being warned off Nova Valance. Maybe you're right, said Steve. 
but I've never had enough experience with property to know how I'd feel about being deprived of it. Steve caught the wrist that flashed up and pinned it to Ormsby's side with a hand that much spinning of a heavy stick had muscled with steel. Easy, he said into the slitted dancing eyes. Easy now. Larry Ormsby's white teeth flashed. Turn my wrist loose, he smiled. I'd like to shake hands with you. I like you, Threefall. You're going to add materially to the pleasures of Izzard. The pounding on the door awakened Steve at nine o'clock the next morning. The pounder was one of Marshal Fernie's subordinates, and he told Steve that he was expected at the inquest into Camp's death within an hour. The coroner was a tall man with a sallow, puffy face, who sped proceedings along regardless of the finer points of legal technicality. Steve told his story, the marshal told his, and then produced a prisoner, a thick-set Austrian whose throat and lower face were swathed in bandages. "'Is this the one you knocked down?' asked the coroner. Steve looked at the Austrian. "'I don't know. I can't see enough of him.' "'This is the one I picked out of the gutter,' said Grant Fernie, "'whether you knocked him there or not. I don't suppose you got a good look at him.' "'I'd know him,' said Steve. "'Take off some of his bandages so the witness can see him,' ordered the coroner. Fernie unwound the Austrian's bandages, bearing a bruised and swollen jaw. Steve stared at the man. This fellow may have been one of his assailants, but he certainly wasn't the one he knocked into the street. Do you identify him? asked the coroner. Steve shook his head. I don't remember ever seeing him. The coroner exposed broken yellow teeth in a snarl. The marshal glowered at Steve. The jurors regarded him with frank suspicion. The marshal and the coroner withdrew to a far corner where they whispered together, casting frequent glances at Steve. All right, said the coroner when this conference was over. That's all. From the inquest, Steve walked slowly back to the hotel, his mind puzzled by this newest addition to Izzard's mysteries. At the hotel, he found that his bag had arrived from White Tufts. He took it up to his room and changed his clothes. Then he carried his perplexity to the window, where he sat smoking cigarette after cigarette, staring into the alley below. Was it possible that so many things should explode around one man in so short a time, in a small city of Izzard's size, without there being a connection between them, and between them and him? And if he was being involved in a vicious maze of crime and intrigue, what was it all about? He sprang to his feet. Down the other side of the alley, a man was walking. A thick-set man. A man with bandaged throat and chin. From what was visible, the face was the face of the man he'd knocked out. Steve ran down three flights of stairs and out of the hotel's back door. He gained the alley in time to see a trouser leg disappearing into a doorway in the block below. The doorway opened into an office building. He searched the corridors upstairs and down, and didn't find the bandaged man. He returned to the ground floor and waited. Fifteen minutes passed. Then footsteps moved towards him. He shrank back, and they passed. A man and a woman laughing together. Steve peeped out. The checkered suit 
was unmistakable. College boy suit, Camp had called it. The man was Elder, the insurance and real estate agent. The woman was Dr. McPhail's blonde wife. What next? Steve asked himself when they'd passed from his sight. Is the whole town wrong? What next, I wonder? The answer came immediately, the pounding of crazy footsteps directly over his head. Above the noise of heels on wooden floor, a scream rose, a scream that blended horror and pain into a sound that was all the more unearthly because it was unmistakably of human origin. Steve bolted up the steps, pivoted into the second-floor corridor, and came face to face with David Brackett, the banker. Brackett's thick legs were far apart, and he swayed on them. His face was a pallid agony above his beard. From his writhing lips, thin wisps of vapor issued. They've poisoned me, the damned. He came suddenly up on the tips of his toes. His body arched, and he fell stiffly backward, as dead things fall. As Steve dropped on a knee beside him, a shot crashed. He jerked erect and sprang down the corridor toward the sound. At the end of the corridor, a door was labeled Ormsby Niter Corporation, W. W. Ormsby President. Even as he dashed towards it, another shot rattled the door and a falling body thudded behind it. Steve flung the door open and jumped aside to avoid stepping on the man who lay just inside. Over by a window, Larry Ormsby stood facing the door, a black automatic in his hand. His lips curled in a tight-lipped smile. Hello, Threefall. I see you're still keeping close to the storm centers. Steve looked down at the man on the floor. W. W. Ormsby. He looked up from killed to killer. Larry Ormsby's eyes were hard and bright. Steve shook his head and heard the trampling of feet and a confusion of excited voices in the corridor behind him, and men came into the office. Grant Fernie, the marshal, was one of them. Dead, he asked, with a bare glance at the man on the floor. Rather, replied Larry. How come? Larry Ormsby moistened his lips thoughtfully. Threefall and I were standing down near the front door talking when we heard a shot. We came up, and just as we got to the head of the steps, we heard another shot, and Brackett came running out of here with this gun in his hand. He gave the automatic to the marshal and went on. He took a few steps from the door, yelled, and fell down. Did you see him out there? I did, said Fernie. Well, three falls stopped to look at him while I came on in here to see if my father was all right and found him dead. That's all there is to it. No one questioned Steve, and he left without either contradicting or corroborating Larry Ormsby's fiction. If he'd known what lay behind this piling up of crime, he could have decided what to do. But he didn't know. So, he kept silent. He couldn't grasp more than a fragment of the affair at a time now. Elder and Mrs. McPhail going up the stairs. To where? What had become of the man with the bandages on throat and jaw? Had those three any part in the double murder? Had Larry killed the banker as well as his father? 
Nova Valance was sitting on the lower step of the MacPhail's porch when Steve went up the flowered walk that evening. She welcomed him warmly, concealing none of the impatience with which he had been waiting. He sat beside her, twisting around a little for a better view of the dusky oval of her face. I suppose you heard all about today's excitement? Oh, yes, about Mr. Brackett shooting Mr. Ormsby and then dying with one of his heart attacks. Huh? demanded Steve. Suppose you tell me what you heard. All I really know is what Dr. MacPhail, who examined both of them, said. And what was that? That Mr. Brackett shot Mr. Ormsby, though nobody seems to know why. And then, before he could get out of the building, his heart failed him, and he died. Steve caught her wrist in his hand. Think now. Did you ever hear Dr. MacPhail speak of Brackett's heart trouble until today? She looked into his face, and a little pucker of bewilderment came between her eyes. I don't think so. But of course, there was never any reason why he should have mentioned it. Why do you ask? Because, he told her, Brackett did not shoot Ormsby, and any heart attack that killed Brackett was caused by poison. Some poison that burned his face. She gave a little cry of horror. Then she glanced furtively over her shoulder at the front door of the house. Didn't you say that the man who was killed in the fight last night was named Camp? Yes. Well, the report, or whatever it was that Dr. MacPhail made of his examination, reads, Henry Cumberpatch. I saw it. What does it all mean? The front gate clattered open and a man swayed up the walk. Steve got up, picked up his black stick, and stepped between the girl and the advancing man. The man's face came out of the dark. It was Larry Ormsby. You gotta get out. Get out of Izzard. He leaned back against the fence. Your lives aren't worth a nickel. Neither of you. Nightmare Town was read by Stuart Milligan. It was abridged by Neville Teller and produced by Elizabeth Allard. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.